Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to take a look at God's man. That's the Apostle Paul. He is going to confront Satan's city. That's the city of Athens. We have been traveling with Paul and company on the second missionary journey. They've established a church in Philippi. And you remember the wonderful story of the conversion of Lydia and the Philippian jailer. But boy, did Paul take a beating for it, right? He's hurting, and he's run out of town, but before he leaves, he leaves his own personal physician, Dr. Luke, there to establish the church and keep it strong and keep it growing. And so they go to Thessalonica, and they do the same thing, but they're soon run out of Thessalonica. And so they flee 50 miles to Berea. And again, confrontation, and they're run out of town. And Paul leaves the two last members of his missionary team, Silas and Timothy, at Berea. And he moves on to Athens. He's in Greece, Athens, Greece, Satan's city. Idols everywhere. Paganism. Satan has got a firm grip on this city. And yet Paul's all alone. Paul misses his companions. But God was still with him. And he couldn't help but speak the word of God. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, that was our response reading this morning, we see a principle. Paul was hunted, he was hated, he was hassled, and he's in Athens all alone. And he writes, When I am weak, it is then that I am strong. He never forgot that God was with him. And when he saw how God was not being glorified in this city all by himself, without companions, he went ahead and preached boldly the word of God. What kind of man was Paul? Well, he was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a student of Gamaliel, who was the teacher of the day. If you sat at the foot of Gamaliel, it was not by accident. You were chosen to sit at this rabbi's feet. You had to be somebody. And the Apostle Paul will write to the Galatians that he advanced in the Jews' religion above everyone in his class. Paul was tops of the class. He was an expert in the law. He was an expert in Jewish ceremonies. Not only that, he was a Roman citizen, and with that came special privileges, special skills in secular affairs. He was a Greek, not by virtue of heritage, but by virtue of environment. He was raised in a city called Tarsus, which was highly influenced with Greek culture. He was exposed to Greek art and philosophy. He was a brilliant thinker. He was a matchless orator, and he was a fearless preacher. Nobody, I mean nobody, sacrificed his body for the cause of Christ more than the Apostle Paul. Always taken a beating. Always in danger in the country, in danger in rivers, in danger in the wilderness. In prison more times for the gospel's sake. Well, he goes to Satan's city. What kind of city was Athens? Well, some historians tell us that Athens, Athens in the 4th and 5th century, in the heyday, you know, four or 500 years earlier, was the greatest city in the world. 
Now, it's gone downhill somewhat since then, but it's still way, way up there. They had more art. They had more literature. They had more architecture and more philosophers than any other city at that time. Athens was really the intellectual center of the world. The greatest university at that time in the world was in Athens, Greece. You know what they called them, that university? They had a name for it. The Eye of Greece. The all-seeing eye. We're it. The focus is on us. Do you see that? They also called it the mother of arts. We're the eye. We're the mother. The focus is inward. It's on education. It's on philosophy. It's on the thinkers. You're only important if you got letters after your name. Athens offered a home to almost every god in existence. They had a place called the Pantheon, where all of these gods, the god of Athena, the god of Zeus, might, power, all these gods existed. They even had a god to the unknown god, and Paul takes this opportunity to tell them about that unknown god. We know who he is. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Jesus Christ. He is the Word, the Logos, the beginning, the end, the Alpha, the Omega. They didn't know about this God. Paul enlightens them. Every public building in the city of Athens was a shrine to a God. The city had a philosophical bent to it. Socrates and Plato were from Athens. Athens was the adopted city of Aristotle and Epicurus. Who was Epicurus? He was the father of the Epicurean movement. And Zeno was the father of the Stoics. Athens was a masterpiece of architecture, of art, of of sculpture, The greatest orators who ever lived gave orations in Athens. And yet, with all of its magnificence, it was still a city without God. Lost city. All this stuff, from a worldly point of view, you would be in awe of, even today, if you could have seen it back then. Lost. Hell-bound in need of a Savior. Kind of sounds like our world, doesn't it? Two major points this morning. Number one, how did Athens affect Paul, and how did Paul affect Athens? Well, how did Athens affect Paul? Number one, got your notes, got your Bible, here we go. Number one, It aroused his spiritual interest. He saw these were a spiritual people. There was a God to everything, even the unknown God. And so he says, I'm going to take advantage of that. He kind of compliments them and even quotes one of their poets and says, I see that you are a religious people. Let me tell you about this unknown God. He he needs to warm up to them before he enlightens them of the bad news that they're, they're worshiping the wrong thing. But Paul is doing it all by himself. I mean, he's doing it with the help of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? Sometimes we need some skin alongside of us 
You ever go door knocking or even handing out literature about the church and you're on one side of the street and you're, on the other side you see a brother or sister? It just kind of gives you comfort, doesn't it, to see someone with you doing the work of the Lord? Jesus, when he sent out the disciples on the limited commission, how did he send them out? Two by two. Paul is all alone. He's taken beatings in the past for going to synagogues. He has taken beatings in the past for talking about unknown gods that were not found to be favorable in the community. And has ended up in jail and worse. And yet, his spiritual interest is aroused. And it says in verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. Who's the them? Remember, he's just left Berea. And who did he leave at Berea? Timothy and Silas. Those are his partners. And he writes, last week or three weeks ago, he writes, come as quickly as you can, guys. I miss you. I need companionship. I need help here. And so while he's waiting for them... He doesn't go on a sightseeing tour. He doesn't take in the theater and the, and, the, and, the, and the architecture and the museums. He could have, but he doesn't. There is not one word in Paul's writings about him doing that. He is concerned for souls. He didn't get caught up in the superficialities of Athens. It would have been easy for you to do so. I have actually flown into cities, and I kind of got caught up in that stuff. I mean, it's kind of hard not to if you're on the top floor of the Sears Tower overlooking Wrigley Field in that beautiful city that we had just taken a tour bus of Chicago, the Windy City. And you can kind of get caught up in that. But when Paul would fly into a city, or rode into a city, <laughs> he, he wouldn't get caught up in that stuff. He, you know, volumes have been written about Athens, you know what Paul writes? Full of idols. Lost people. That's what he saw. That's what he stayed focused on. How do you see your city? How do you see your Athens? How do you see your neighborhood? Your block? You know, good news was meant to be shared. Have you shared the next Sunday... We're having a Christmas service in the morning and a Christmas service at night with your neighbors yet. Have you done that? You know, good news was meant to be shared. After the big game, what do you do? We won! After the big birth, it's a boy, it's a girl. You know, we, we, we share. You know, go to the doctor and you're all nervous and tense. They've taken a biopsy, but it's benign. Here's some good news. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Who have you invited? Who from your Athens have you invited next Sunday? More people this time of the year are apt to accept an invitation to church than any other time of the year. It's the Christmas season. There is a gift to be open. Invite them. We'll share the gift. So it aroused his spiritual interest. Number two, how did it affect Paul? It stirred his emotions. Verse 16, while he was waiting for them in Athens. He was greatly, what's the word? Distressed. Paul was upset about these idols. Those idols really tore him up on the inside. You know why? Because those idols took the glory away from who? God Almighty. And that really got to Paul more than anything else. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, and there's a host of passages on this. We don't, I'll give you two. That talk about Paul's obsession with the glory of God and that him be glorified. But 1031 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Whatever you do, do it all to the what? Glory of God. And last week, Mike in his message talked about Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God exalted him, that's our Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To who? To the glory of who? God. God, God, God. God be glory. To God be the glory is what Paul was concerned about. It made Elijah furious. You remember the Old Testament prophet, fiery prophet named Elijah? When he saw Israel worshiping the, the God of Baal. Paul got equally furious, distressed on the inside, when he saw these Athenians worshiping all these different gods. When um, Moses came down from Mount Sinai in Exodus 32, what was he carrying with him? Do you remember? The Ten Commandments. Do you remember the second commandment? Thou shalt have no graven images. Don't bow down to idols. What does he find Israel doing as he comes down the mountain? Bowing down to a golden calf. Breaking the second commandment right out of the gate. He was jealous for God and he threw those tablets. Well, the Apostle Paul is equally jealous for God. Are you jealous for God? When you see people worshiping, maybe not bowing down to an image, but maybe bowing down to a, a shiny new car or that new house. Or maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a thing. Or maybe it's an image of God they've created in their own mind. To me, God is like this. And then you fill in the blank. That's bowing down to images. We need to tell them about the one, the true God. Not the God that they create in their own mind. And so, it piqued his spiritual interest. It stirred him emotionally. And then that leads to number three. It compelled him to service. You can't get emotionally involved without doing something about it. And so in verse 17 it says, He reasoned with them in the synagogues. Who's the them? The Jews. And that word reason means he dialogued with them. He not only preached, but then he talked to them about it. He would preach a message and he'd have some sort of a growth group meeting afterwards and dialogue in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as, watch this, I love the next part. Not just Jews and God-fearing Greeks, but the local yokels, the local population in the marketplace. And how often would he do it? He would go day by day, every day in the marketplace, with those who happened to be there. Well, what kind of people hung out at the marketplace? Well, you had teachers, you had philosophers, you had magicians, you had the hucksters. You know, step right up, folks, you know, find where the little pea is at under these cups. You know, all, all that stuff was in the marketplace. Those sleight-of-hand artists. This is cold turkey evangelism. And so whoever happened to show up in the marketplace, Paul spoke to them. When was the last time you did some just good old cold turkey door knocking? Man, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Paul did that on a regular basis. He preached unto them what? The resurrection. That was a brand new concept to them. Because the Stoics and the Epicureans didn't believe in a resurrection, not a bodily one anyway. 
And so Athens aroused him, it stirred him, and it compelled him to serve. Well, how did Paul affect Athens? Four ways, quickly. Hang in there with me. First of all, they were contempt. They, had, they were contemptu- contemptuous with Paul. They didn't, they didn't like him. They didn't like the message. They didn't like the man. They disputed him. They called him names. They called him a babbler, verse 18. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. Paul ran into these two groups. These are the guys with credentials. These are the PhDs of the day. The thinkers. The educated ones. They taught at the university. And they would go around spreading their their lies about their gods. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? They call him a babbler. In the Greek, it literally means seed picker. Kind of mocking him, making him seem kind of backwards. What does this seed picker know? Is he trying to just get a little money by sharing a a little of this and a little of that, a little religion, a little philosophy, a little knowledge, and wrapping it up in a package and making it seem like it's knowledge? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Brand new stuff. The Epicureans got their name from Epicurus, who was a philosopher in Athens. He was born in 342 B.C. He's been long since dead, but his followers' beliefs continue on even to the days of Paul. They believed everything happened by chance. There was really no rhyme nor reason to the universe. You can think of it this way. There may have been a god at one time. They were kind of deistic in their thinking. Uh, think of it this way. You sort of take an alarm clock, you know, the old type that you would wind up, and then you just set it down and just let the whole thing kind of run down. Well, that's the world. That's the planet that we come. There was some far distant God that wound up the world, and now he's no longer involved in the affairs of men. He's off doing his own thing. And you know what? Um, There's no rhyme or reason in the universe. Nobody's really running the show. And when you die... You're dead. You are dead all over, just like Rover. Although the Pope this past week said there's hope for Rover. I don't know if you read that in the paper. And so what do you think their basic core belief would be? Here it is. If if you're dead all over, just like Rover, and you only go around once, pleasure is the main purpose of life. That was the Epicureans. Pleasure. That sounds almost modern, doesn't it? What what does modern society say? You only go around once in life, and so you got to go for what? All the, you finish the word, gusto you can. You're very Epicurean if that is your philosophy of life. And believe me, there's a whole lot of people that think that way. Go for all the gusto. Grab it all. Do it all. Because you're going to die. It's all going to be over. The Stoics were basically pantheist. Pantheism just simply believes that everything's God. Um, The dirt's God. The sun's God. The moon's God. The trees are God. You're God. I'm God. Two great movements came out of this type of thinking. First of all, um, the eco-movement, ecology. And guess what people do today? 
If you don't worship God, you worship, you got to worship something. This is kind of innate in man. You got to worship something. They worship what? Mother Earth. Ecology has really become not just a movement, but a religion. I'm all for taking care of the planet we live on. I mean, this is our home, so let's take care of it. But I don't worship it, folks. I worship the creator of the planet, not the planet. See the difference? And number two, humanitarianism. Well, if I'm God, then you must be God, and so we've got to take care of each other. So those are the two movements that came out of the Stoics. And so everything is the will of God no matter what happens. That is basically their philosophy. And so they come to Paul and they say, Paul, you picked up some bits and pieces of philosophy and religion and you've slapped it together and you're trying to pawn that off on us as knowledge and we're not buying it. You're a philosophical seed picker. They're mocking. They're making fun. Those in higher education today at the universities, they still mock us, don't they? They still make fun. Anytime they can take a weak Christian young man, young woman in a science class and rip you apart and ruin your faith, they'll take advantage of that. But we know better. We know better. They would have us to believe that religion is for old ladies and kids. It's just a bunch of old wives' tales. Paul addressed this many, many times. Let me give you a couple examples. 1 Corinthians 3.18 Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks that he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that we may become wise, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. These people up there with the PhDs and what have you that think they're so smart, it's foolishness to God. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are what? Perishing. That's the end result of those that don't believe. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Remember when Jesus was on earth, what were they always saying? Give us another miracle. Show us another miracle. Let manna come from heaven. Do some sky riding up there. We want to see a a miracle in the sky. Jesus, I'll give you one more resurrection. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man shall be in the belly of the earth. Last resurrection, last miracle is going to be a resurrection. You either believe that or you perish. The Greeks, they weren't so much looking for signs. They were looking for wisdom. They were looking for knowledge. Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. And that was a stumbling block to both groups. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. I'd rather be a fool in God's kingdom and saved than the smartest intellectual at Harvard University and lost. How about you? I'm taking God. Well... There was contempt for Paul, contemptuous. And then there was curiosity. There was the curiosity factor, I suppose. Verse 19, Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. The Areopagus was not so much a place as it was a court. 
a court of 30 men in Athens. Ariacobus in the Latin is translated Mars Hill. And so we tend to think of Mars Hill as a place, but it's really a name of a court. Much like our Supreme Court, uh, our Supreme Court is really not a place as much as it is, as it is the people that sit in those judges' seats. And such is the case with these 30 men. They, they got this new teaching that has come to town, and they got to protect their gods, and so they're checking it all out. And so they took him to their meeting, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You say, well, they must really be under spiritual conviction. They really want to know about this God that Paul is preaching about, right? Wrong. It was just the flavor of the month. It was just a new teaching. They wanted to hear about it because that's what they did. They were the intellectual type. They wanted to hear more. And so they began questioning number three. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we want to know what they mean. And then the Holy Spirit throws in verse 21 just to let us know that they're not really interested in spiritual things. It's just knowledge. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Flavor of the month. And that was Paul. Colossians 2 verse 8, Paul says, don't get caught up in that stuff. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and what? Vain deceit. It's all deceitfulness. It's just a sidetrack. It gets you away from God. Don't fall for it. And then, whenever you put this much effort into something, there will be some conversion. And this is the best part. It all leads to this. Whenever you've got a gracious God and a willing worker like the Apostle Paul, and you've got some seeking souls, even in this pagan city called Athens, some will get saved. Not most, but some. And Paul thought that was worth it. Who got saved? Verse 34, a few men. A few men. Doesn't say how many. Doesn't sound like a multitude. Doesn't sound like Acts chapter 2 where 3,000 got saved. It's a few men. They became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of what? The Areopagus. One of those 30 got converted, became a believer. And a woman named Damaris doesn't give any title, doesn't seem to be a woman of stature or importance, except she was important to Jesus, right? And a number of others. But before those conversions, there were the same old responses, the mocking, the sneering. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection, remember that's what Paul was preaching, the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Epicureans didn't believe in a resurrection. The Stoics didn't believe in a physical resurrection. Remember in Acts chapter 2, when, when uh, Peter and the apostles got up and started preaching about the resurrection, what did they say about them? These men are drunk. The mocking. And when we talk about the resurrection today, I mean, you can see the eyes being rolled. You know, oh, brother, give me a break. Don't mention that name, Jesus. It seems like even when someone on television starts to talk about Jesus in a live interview, whenever they bring up Christianity or even the name, the channel gets, you know, static. <laughs> they, they, they don't want the name heard. What an age we live in. Same old responses, sneering, mocking. But isn't that what Jude said would say would happen? 
And Jude 1, 17, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be what? Scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. And so when they heard about the resurrection, they sneered. But others said, We want to hear you again on the subject. So those are the truth seekers. And you know, when you open yourself up to a little bit of truth, you know what God does? He opens up more truth to you. If you're willing to receive a little, He will then reveal more. And watch what happens. Watch what happens to these seeking souls and this willing worker named Paul. At that, Paul left the council. Why does he leave? He just told about Jesus and he takes off. He wants to know who the real followers are. And watch what happens. Verse 34, a few men became followers of Paul and believed. That word follower, it's the Greek word kaleo. It means to stick like glue. That's how they stuck to Paul. They followed him like they were stuck together by glue. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Paul had a dramatic effect on Athens. Why? Because he was willing to go where the people were. He was willing to rub elbows with them in the marketplace. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you even shared it with a family member that's far from God? A neighbor that's far from God, much less a total stranger. I think that's what God is calling us to. Because our nation is just like Athens, and we still worship all those gods. Athena, Demeter, Zeus, Bacchus, Remer. We still have our shrines, only now they're to football gods and baseball gods and basketball gods, and we are still very Epicurean, existentialist, materialist, hedonist. We have our Stoics talking about brotherhood, but not talking about a Savior. Man is God. You're God. I'm God. Baloney. It's only one God. To Him be the glory. How will you affect your Athens? Now, last time we were together, I said I'm going to finish the book of Acts today. We're only in Acts 17. We've got to get to Acts 28. And our time is almost gone. But if you give me five more minutes, I'll finish the book. Okay? Trust me on this. Kaysen has helped me out with a little video that I want to show. Acts is the story of the growth of the church, and this church grew with joy. I want to be a church like this. Go ahead and set that up, and let's watch this wonderful church in the book of Acts. In Jerusalem, A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan. And out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon, and 3,000 hearts were transformed. Hearing, receiving, and repenting, the young church walked in unity and garnered praise. Peter and John then continued to spread the gospel through preaching and miracles, and the church grew by 5,000. In AD 31, Stephen gave a powerful sermon, and the enraged crowd stoned him, making him the first Christian martyr. Around AD 34, on the road to Damascus, the Lord transformed the heart of Saul, a man who persecuted countless Christians, and Saul became Paul. 
In AD 44, King Herod Agrippa I executed the Apostle James and had Peter arrested. But an angel rescued Peter, leading him out of the prison. As the believers were scattered because of persecution, the center of operations for Christianity turned from Jerusalem to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey. On his final missionary journey, Paul traveled through Galatia, Phrygia, and Ephesus, encouraging the disciples in the cities. He then spent three months in Greece before traveling to Jerusalem, where he was arrested. Paul was then sent to Rome for trial, but the ship wrecked on the island of Malta. When he finally arrived in Rome, he lived there for two years before Nero ordered his beheading. And after 28 chapters, the story of Acts came to an end. Yet the story of the gospel didn't stop there. Out of joy, the church multiplied. In AD 80, Christianity spread further to the countries of France and Tunisia. Twenty years later, the first Christians were reported in Algeria and Sri Lanka. By AD 150, the gospel reached Portugal and Morocco. Christianity found its way to Austria in AD 174, followed by Switzerland and Belgium. In AD 328, the gospel reached Ethiopia. Almost 200 years later, Pope Gregory I sent Augustine of Canterbury and a team of missionaries to present-day England. And within the first year, they baptized 10,000 people. In AD 635, the first Christian missionaries arrived in China. In AD 740, Irish monks brought the gospel to Iceland. But it wasn't until AD 900 that missionaries reached the country of Norway. Out of joy, the church multiplied. By 1200, the Bible was available in 22 languages. In 1491, missionaries arrived in the African Congo with the first church located in Angola. A few years later, Kenya reported its first known Christians. Meanwhile, in Spain, Pope Alexander VI wanted to send Catholic missions to the New World. As a result, Christopher Columbus took priests with him on his second journey to the Americas. In 1531, Franciscan Juan de Padilla started his mission work in Mexico City. By 1550, John Calvin sent French Protestants to reach the people of Brazil. In 1640, Jesuit missionaries finally reached the Caribbean, landing on the island of Martinique. Out of joy, the church multiplied. Looking back on our history, all the way back from Acts to present day, we see the church multiplying. As bearers of the good news, God calls each of us into the story and mission. Sometimes it is hard. Sometimes we must leave friends and family behind. Sometimes we must give up our comfort. But whether we go, whether we stay, whether we pray or offer support, we are all wrapped up in this joyful call to take what started in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. We are part of the next chapter in the story. What role will you play? Out of joy, the church multiplies. What role will you play? How will you affect and impact your Athens? Next week, Christmas is the Sunday before Christmas. You play a role. Please do it out of joy. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now thanking you for this great Apostle Paul who was willing to be used by you in so many ways. Thank you for the success that you gave him even in that difficult city of Athens. 
Father, continue to remind us that you're always with us, even when we seem like we're alone. Would you arouse in us that spiritual nature that is in us to see the lostness of men and stir our emotions so that we will be concerned for your glory and compel us daily in your service so that our world may be saved. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We always like to end with an invitation song. I know of two young men that want to give their life to Christ today. Name him as Jesus' Lord and put him on in baptism. There may be others. If that's the case, let us know right now as together we stand and as we sing to the Lord.